want to grab a Bible, turn to Revelation 12. We've been looking this Christmas season at a different Christmas story. We're familiar with the ones in Luke and Matthew. But we looked at this cosmic Christmas of what's going on behind the scenes uh, before Jesus was born and even after he was born. Um, there's a story about a little boy who was walking through the forest and he found this rather large egg. It wasn't any kind of bird egg that he had ever seen before. It had a kind of a tough exterior. And so he took it home. And once it got into the warm, after a few days, the egg started to crack and opened up. And out came this little lizardy, dragony thing. The boy was enamored with it and he wanted it as a pet. And so he started to feed it. But what do you feed dragons? You have to find some mice and you have to find some things. And so he did until his mother found out one day that he was hiding a dragon in his room and said, son, it's probably not a good idea to have a dragon as a pet. The little boy had fallen in love with the dragon. And so he kept the dragon hidden in his room for as long as he could. And he kept feeding it and feeding it. And the dragon grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And then against the advice of his mother, he kept the dragon Well, the dragon got so big for his room, he finally took the dragon out into the woods where he could find bigger game to eat and bigger food to eat. And the dragon kept getting bigger and bigger, but the boy loved the dragon and didn't want to let the dragon go. One day, the boy went out to feed the dragon, and the dragon saw the boy, and the dragon ate the boy for lunch. Some of you are feeding dragons in your life. You're not wanting to let them go. And they're going to consume us if we don't battle them and do battle with them. We keep them as pets and we keep them around. And we call them these besetting sins or these habits that we have. And in our lives, we feed them and we love them. And how many times have people said, you really need to let that thing go. And somehow we know better. And one day the thing is going to grow up and devour us. Well, that's what we see in Revelation 12, the Christmas story from another perspective. This woman had given birth to a male child. And the overall goal of this dragon is to defeat God's plan and his purposes. General Patton once said, The key to winning a war is not giving your life for your country, but seeing that the enemy gives his life for his country. In other words, you see what the enemy gives in order to win. And so we give more in order to win in our lives. So what does this dragon do? This dragon, who we know is Satan, has tried to corrupt humanity at the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, in verses 1 to 4, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, You may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You certainly will not die, said the servant to the woman. So right away we see this conflict and this battle that is happening. And so foreknowing this, God had already prepared a plan of redemption through Christ. And so when Jesus came, the tempter, Satan, this dragon, tried to achieve his goal by attacking the Redeemer himself. And so we see in Revelation 12, when this woman gave birth to a son, the dragon was there ready to what? Devour this son. And so we see that throughout Jesus' life. Matthew chapter 2, we looked at last week. After Jesus was born and the wise men came and Herod wanted to know where the king was, he ordered the execution of all the male children under two years old, but Jesus escaped to Egypt. And now we see in Revelation 12 where the Satan is trying again to devour this man-child. In the trial and the temptation of Jesus, when he entered his ministry, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days. And what happened? The tempter was there. 
and said, surely um, you are turn these stones into bread and I'll put you up on the uh, pinnacle of the temple and throw you down and your angels. And what did Jesus do? He came through that temptation. And so working through Judas, what happened? Satan sought Jesus' death. But what he didn't realize was the death of Jesus would mean his own defeat. So in Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, that's Jesus, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And so failing to prevent Jesus from carrying out his plan, we see this in Revelation chapter 12, in verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and a half time out of the serpent's reach. Then from the mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against what? The rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. And so what happens is this dragon tried to devour the male child that was born. And we see that through Jesus' life. But Jesus died and he rose again and he ascended back to heaven. And so Jesus is now out of reach of this dragon. But who is the target now? The offspring of the woman. And who is that? That's us. As believers, we are the target of the enemy's attacks. That's why the, uh, Peter tells us to be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? To devour. And so in Revelation 12, we see that this dragon was wanting to devour the man-child, Jesus, the Messiah, but failing to do that, now he's looking for someone else. The question is, are you going to be the dragon's lunch or not? Are we going to allow the dragon to devour us? And as we head into a new year, I want you to think about this year what is the dragon in your life? What is that thing that you have desperately wanted to be gone in your life that this is the year that you could find the victory over that? Because we can be dragon slayers in our lives because we are operating from the power that comes from God, the power that comes from Jesus. Listen, as a finite creature, this dragon doesn't do this alone. He's not omnipresent but he has the help of these lesser evil spirits, these, uh, his minions, his representatives. And so we have this spiritual battle. So today, I want us to be mindful of the battle, but I also want you to have some hope that you can do this. Because we have the gospel, we have Jesus, we have the power of the cross in our lives. And so what I want to do is I want to give you some methods of the ways that this dragon attacks our lives... Then I'm going to give you the solutions. And what I want you to do this year is to commit to the solutions. Because we all have the weapons, and sometimes we just tuck them away, and they're stored safely in the gun safe, and we never get them out. Or we hide them somewhere, and we don't ever use them, and we wonder why we're defeated, and we wonder why we're battling the same things over and over and over again. It's because we're not using the resources, but we're just maybe feeding the dragon. So here are some ways that the, the dragon attacks us in our lives. And the first one is this. His main strategy is this, is he attacks our minds through false teaching. The number one weapon of the enemy is deception. The enemy has been lying about God and attacking his word. Did you notice in Genesis chapter 3 how he twisted God's word? That he added to God's word. He made Eve believe something that God had not said. 
And so the enemy disguises himself as an angel of light. What does that mean? It means sometimes it sounds good, but listen, everything that has a scripture attached to it doesn't mean it's biblical. Just because somebody has some wacky idea about something and then puts a scripture on it doesn't mean it's biblical. It has to fit in the entire worldview of the plan of redemption, the entire worldview of the Bible. In fact, the uh, Bible says that Satan binds the minds of the unbeliever. He has schemes and snares. We are constantly, Timothy reminds us, bombarded by deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Demons inhabit the false religions of the world. And Satan can even empower people to do pseudo-miracles. Listen, just because something looks like it's miraculous doesn't mean it's from God. We have to be discerning, and we have to be able to know what the truth is. And we have to be able... And so what Satan's number one deception, over and over you see that, is what? Through false teaching. Man, it is so easy to believe anything today. It absolutely is. In fact, there's a thing called clickbait, right? You'll see a, a headline pop up on your uh, new, uh, Facebook feed or on your uh, Twitter feed. And you're like, man, that sounds great. And so you click on it, and you get there, and you're like, this doesn't sound like it's true. But we are gullible people, and we believe almost anything sometimes. And that's one of the tactics of the enemy, is that he attacks our minds through what? Through deception, through false teaching. Through a, a fault. There, there is a truth. There are things that are real, and the, Satan will try to uh, turn those around. Uh, do you know what a counterfeit is? A counterfeit is something that looks so close to the truth, that it, but it's not really the truth. When you uh, pass, well, hopefully you don't pass counterfeit bills. But uh, yeah, what, what do they do to the bank tellers? They teach them what? This is what real money feels like as you count the real money. And then when the counterfeit comes through your fingers, it feels a little different, but it looks the same. That's what a counterfeit is. A counterfeit is so close to the original. Listen, you would not go to the store and try to pay for something with Monopoly money. Somebody would laugh at you or maybe get arrest you. But a counterfeit, what, looks so close to the real thing, but it's really not the real thing. It has no value. And that's what Satan does in our lives if we're not careful, is he attacks our minds through false teaching. Here's the other way that Satan attacks us. He attacks our wills through temptation. Listen. God's desire, we are created in his image, and God wants us to be like him. That's the reason we are created in his image. We are to reflect his image and his glory to the world around us. In fact, Jesus wants us to be transformed into his likeness. But sin mars God's image in us. It's like when you get out of the shower in the morning and you go to look in the mirror and there's just that fog and you can't see yourself. That's the image of God in us that's been marred by sin. And our goal is to become more like Jesus. And so God has created us to be like him. But we also have an enemy who wants us to be like him. Satan wants us to be just like him as well. And so how does he do that? He attacks our wills through temptation. He wants us to share in his sin so that we will also share in his condemnation. And so what does he do? He puts pressure on our wills to lead us to act in sinful ways. There's this, there's this mechanism. We're not quite sure how it works. It's, listen, it's not clearly explained in scripture how that works, but we can discern how some of these temptations work. And one of them is that the acceptance of a lie will ultimately create a path for us to follow. And so when I believe something to be true that's not true, it will open me up through to, to follow this lie. A lie that money will make me happy. 
If I just had more money, I would be happy, is a lie. And it gets, we buy into the lie, and then what happens? We are tempted to act in all kinds of ways to get more money because we think that's going to make us happy. Or how about the lie that I need someone to make me complete? And so what we'll do is we buy the lie, and we spend the rest of our life looking for someone to make us complete. And so what do we do? We go from one bad relationship to the next to the next. Why? Because we are, we are following a lie. And so one of the mechanics of temptation is, once we receive the lie, it, it's a path for us to, to follow. It, it could be that there's certain thoughts and images that come into our subconscious. Listen, let's just all be honest. We have thought some pretty bad stuff sitting in church at times. You, we just have. Like, where did that thing come from? Or have you ever been praying, and all of a sudden this thought comes in your mind? Like, where did that come from? And so it could be, not always, but it could be this mechanic of, of what? Of temptation. And sometimes the, the, the temptation stokes the sinful uh, desires that fire and exploits our, exploits our spiritual weaknesses. We all have to realize we all have different weaknesses. We are, we are not all susceptible to the same things. And so everyone has a weakness. There's this thing. And don't you keep coming back to that sometimes? You're like, why do I keep doing this? Why is it that you don't struggle with this, but I do? And this is the reason why. Because each of us has that place, that pressure point, that's that place of weakness, and we need to understand what that is. One of the ways of uh, mechanics of temptation is that Satan works indirectly through other people. Hey, you want to try this, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just an indirect way that other people influence us and pull us in and have us tempted to do things and act in sinful ways. Oftentimes we sin alone, but think about the many times that we sin because of someone else. They tempt us or they, they entice us to do something. And so he attacks our wills through temptation. Our minds through what? Deception. Our wills through temptation. Another way is our, our bodies through demonization. And, um, listen, this is not the exorcist kind of stuff. Like that is a movie. That is not biblical. But it's that thing that there's this uh, way that, that Satan can manipulate the aspect of the physical. We read that in Job. When Satan comes and says to the Lord, here's Job. And what does the Lord say? Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So he went out, and while he was still speaking, at verse 16, another messenger came. The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. So there is this place in the Old Testament, especially, where Satan seems to have this control over some physical elements. Now listen, it's only within the context of God's permissive will. I've said this many times. It is not a battle of equals. It is the almighty, uncreated, infinite God and a finite, created, sinful, fallen creature. There, there's no contest. But there's this place where sometimes that the, it affects the physical parts of our lives. Listen, every illness is not caused by Satan. And I know there are people who teach that. That if you are ill, it's because there's a sin in your life. No, you're sick because the guy next to you on the metro sneezed on you. There's no Satan there, okay? So we have to be careful that not every illness is caused by Satan, or because you have no faith, or because you're not walking in the Lord. We are under the curse. What does that mean? We are all going to die. How do we die? We're going to get sick. 
There is no live long and prosper in the Christian faith. It, it happens. And so every illness and every sickness does not come from Satan. Although we see sometimes in scriptures that he's, he can manipulate the physical, right? But so we have to be conscious and aware that not everything is that way. But this is a third lesser strategy of Satan. And so as we head into New Year... If we want to do battle with the things that we've been battling for years, you know that dragon that starts out so small, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it overtakes us. So I'm going to give you three ways in order to do battle this year, and three ways in order to really come against these attacks and to come against these uh, things that are in your life. Satan and his demons are created beings, listen, and they don't have infinite powers. They just do not. Jesus has already met them in battle, and he has decisively defeated them on the cross. That's one of the reasons he came. 1 John 3, 8. We celebrate Christmas because of this. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then John says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so we celebrate Christmas, and the reason Jesus appeared was what? To destroy the devil's work. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has rendered Satan what? Powerless. There is a restriction, but he still has some influence, and there's still some power. In fact, Colossians tells us, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, what happened was when Jesus came, he came to do battle with Satan, and he did through his temptation in the wilderness. In the garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass me by. But what did he say? Not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself. And so we see these challenges in Jesus' life. But he was killed. But what happened? He rose again. And on that good Friday, because Satan is not omniscient, he didn't know what was going to happen on Sunday morning. They thought they had won. But what happened Sunday morning? Very early in the morning when they went to the tomb, it was what? It was empty. Jesus had the ultimate victory. Jesus had the ultimate say. Jesus is alive, and he's now interceding for us. And so we see this in Scripture, that the powers have been disarmed because of Jesus, because of the cross. And we live on this side of the cross, where we have that power in our lives. He is defeated, and he has bound the devil, and the Holy Spirit is greater in us than, than Satan is in the world, First John 4. So if you've been struggling and you've been battling and you have just been coming up against, and we talk that way, don't we? My own, what, personal demons. It's just that thing. And we are under attack, but we need to avail ourselves of these resources. And it doesn't require miraculous powers. It doesn't require someone coming to your house and throwing holy water on you and doing all kinds of things. It doesn't require that at all, but it requires what? A a submissive heart and a submissive spirit. These are all things we can avail ourselves from. God delivers through providential answer to prayer, providential intervention in answer to prayer. You know what? We use the the term uh, miracle too loosely. Everything that happens is not a miracle. You know what a healing that happens? It's not a miracle. It's an answer to prayer. It's a providential answer to prayer. God said, if you pray, I'm going to do it. And so we pray and he answers. And some of the, it's just a providential answer to prayer. A miracle is if the sun stops for four hours this afternoon, it doesn't keep on going down. That's a miracle. 
Or when you come up against the river and the waters part, that's a miracle. But we are, have, have uh, watered down that term miracle too much. And we forget the power of prayer and God's providential answer to prayer. And God says, what, if you pray about this, I'm going to do it. It's, it's not a miracle. It's a, it's a providential answer to prayer. And it's the same with those dragons in our lives that God said, if you do these things, you will be set free. It's, it's not a miracle. It's, it's, the, it's my providence. It's the way that I respond and, and treat my people when they pray and when they do the things that I've asked to do. When you go out in your, to your car after church and you put the key in the ignition and it starts, you're like, it's a miracle. No, the car is supposed to do that. It'd be a miracle if somebody took the engine out of your car and it started. That would be a miracle. What is it? It's a providential thing. It's the way it works, and that's what happens in our lives. We don't need to look for a miracle. We just need to look for the Lord. And he'll work in our lives providentially because he's the God, the sovereign God of the universe. So here's some ways that we can do battle this year. The main solution to the attack of our minds is knowing the truth. This is why over and over and over I challenge you and, and, and ask you to be in the Word every day. You need to read the Bible every day. If the only Bible you're getting is on Sunday morning, you are only getting one-seventh of the truth that you could be getting for the week. And if you're having somebody else tell you what the Bible says or somebody else telling you what you should be thinking, you're getting their chewed up food that they have digested from the word and giving it to you. You need to be in the word. There's just no other way around it. The first item in the armor in Ephesians 6.14 is this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Some of you are spiritually walking through life with your pants down because you haven't buckled the belt of truth around your waist. That's what, that's what keeps us moving. That's what keeps us going. It's, it's what? It's a belt of truth. Our most basic form of defense against the devil is knowing the truth is crucial to freedom from deception. John 8, 32 says this, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Some of you are struggling in your life because you are believing lies. You're believing lies about yourself. You're believing lies about the world. You're believing lies that you have been told about how things are, but that's not really how they are. Here's some of the lies, and here's some of the truth that we need to remember in our lives. Some of you think you're unlovable. The truth is you're very loved. Some of you think you're unacceptable. The truth is you are accepted. Some of you think you're unworthy, but in Christ we are what? Righteous. Some of you think you're a failure, but in Christ you are victorious. Some of you are anxious, but in Christ we're what? We are content. Some of you are, think you're weak, but in Christ we are what? Very strong. Some of you think you're in bondage, but in Christ we are free. Some of you think you are guilty, but in Christ you are totally forgiven. Some of you think there's nothing special about you, but in Christ you have been chosen by God. Some of you are believing that, you, that life is hopeless, but Jesus is all the hope that we need. Some of you think that you're terribly alone, but in Jesus, we're what? We're never alone. Some of you are afraid of Satan and his demons, but in Christ, we have victory over Satan. I want you to think about the struggles that you have in life and the fears that you have in life and the, 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 the anxiety that you have in life. All of those things, if you trace it back far enough, is probably related to a lie that you're believing about something. 
the world's going to end tomorrow. So what? I'm God's. I'm his. My life's going to end someday. I'm going to be with him forever. I don't have to fear. And so in our lives, as we look, the things that we are struggling with is probably because there is some lie that we are believing. Now listen, just knowing about the truth isn't enough. There are two things that we need to do, and 2 Thessalonians tells us this. It says, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. And for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but delighted in wickedness. We must, first of all, believe the truth. We all in our lives, if we're honest, are believing something that's not true right now. We just are. We need to be humble enough to admit that. We just don't know what it is. But when we are shown the truth... And it's up against what I now believe. I can either accept the truth, and that's what believing is. Believing is what? It's assenting to the truth. It's receiving it into my life. And so I'm shown the truth, and I can either deny it or I can receive it. And so just knowing it isn't enough, I have to believe it. That means I change my mind. I change my attitude. I, I bring that into my life. And the second thing Thessalonians says is I need to love the truth. There's something about us. We just love the lies. We love the lies when they're told about other people. We love the lies about ourselves. There's something about just love and lies, isn't there? Like, oh, I'm awful. I'm terrible. I'm not worthy. I'm unloved. And some of us, we, just, we, we love being in that place where we just, I don't know, we just love the misery. But God came to set us free from that. And so don't ever settle for the misery. Why? We love the truth. And the truth is, God, you love me. You have forgiven me. You have set me free. I have a clear conscience before you. There's no condemnation for me when I'm in Christ Jesus. I love it. So every day we have to keep telling ourselves the truth. We take it into our hearts and we delight in it and we wield it boldly. A National Geographic ran an article about the Alaskan bull moose. The males of the species battle for dominance during the fall breeding season, literally going head-to-head with antlers crunching together as they collide. Often, the antlers, their only weapon is broken. This ensures defeat. The heftiest moose with the largest and strongest antlers triumphs. Therefore, the battle in the fall is really won during the summer when the moose eats continually. The one that consumes the best diet for growing antlers and gaining weight will be the heavyweight in the fight. Those that eat inadequately shorter, uh, inadequately sport, sport weaker antlers and less bulk. The lesson for us is the same. There are spiritual battles that await us. Satan will come and choose to attack. Will we be victorious or will we fall? And it depends on what we are eating now. It depends on our diet of God's word now. It depends on us filling our hearts with God's word now. It it depends on us now, what we're balking up and we're getting the big antlers for when the battle comes. And it's too late when the battle comes to start eating. It's not going to work. I need to balk up now. I need to know the truth now. I need to have this wisdom in my life from God's word now. Don't wait. I need to start Today, I need to start bulking up spiritually with the word because man does not live by bread alone, but by what, church? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's the bulk that we need in our lives spiritually. 
can't wait till the battle comes. I need to start to do that now. So the weapon that I have is what? It's to know the truth. The second way that Satan attacks us is our wills through temptation. And we have a great resource. We submit our wills through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4. From him, this is Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. We are not separated from the life of God. We are connected to the life of God because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Some people say, well, what's new about the New Testament? Here's what's new about the New Covenant. It's the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon somebody. They were, they were enabled to do some works or some ministry, and then they would leave. But in the New Testament... We have the indwelling presence of God's Spirit in us. If you're a believer, you have God's Spirit in you. Do you realize that? We can forget sometimes. But everywhere I go, I'm a temple. Why? Because God's Spirit lives in me. 1 Corinthians says, you all are the temple because God's Spirit lives in us. And so we have this powerful advocate, this this Spirit in our lives that we can put to death the temptations. Now listen, when we are facing temptations, what do we do? I'm just going to will myself hard enough to get through this. I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm just going to be disciplined enough. Listen, we we don't have enough willpower. We are not disciplined enough. We do not have enough self-control. We don't have enough within us to do this. And God knew that, so he gave us his Holy Spirit. And when we fail in the battle, oftentimes it's because we're relying on ourselves. We don't want to ask help from other people because it might make us appear weak. And we certainly sometimes don't want help from God because I don't know why. But here's what God says. It's in your weakness that I show my power. It's in, the, it's in your weakness that my strength is revealed. And so the weakness in our lives, it's the power of the Spirit. He helps us. Romans 8 14 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And so we have this Holy Spirit in our lives. He is this this silent partner in our lives. He's the one who will help us in what? The temptation. We have God's Word to know the truth, but we have the power of the Spirit in our lives to help us with temptation and with the weaknesses in our lives. And so when we have those weaknesses, if we are trying to do it on our own, we're going to fail. A few years ago, there was a movie called The Bear. And it went something like this. Once upon a time, there was a mummy bear and a baby bear. And they were so happy together. Then one day, an accident happened and the mummy bear died, leaving the little baby bear all alone in the world. One day, a poor, defenseless baby bear was out minding his own business when he spotted a big, mean, hungry mountain lion. The baby bear started to run. He was trapped next to the river and jumped in. The mean and nasty mountain lion followed him downstream to where the baby bear came ashore at a crossing. The baby bear was trapped again and made a puny squeaking sound as the mountain lion closed in for the kill. Then suddenly the baby bear stood to his feet, opening his mouth, and there was a massive, great roar! The mountain lion suddenly remembered he had something to do, and he turned and ran for his life, terrified. 
How did that little baby bear do that? Well, the cameras panned around, and behind the baby bear was the most ferocious daddy bear you had ever seen. That's in our lives. We have this ferocious daddy bear in the Holy Spirit who is behind us, in us, helping us, who has the biggest roar besides our puny little squeaks and tries, and that's the power of the Spirit in our lives. And so when we come up against temptation, when we come up against this battle, oftentimes we don't avail ourselves of this resource because there's something in us we want to do it. Our mind has already been made up. We've already bought a lie. We've already had the path and we're going to do this. And the further we go, the more difficult it gets. But we have this power of the Spirit in us. The longer we and the more we practice righteousness, the stronger we will be. That's why righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, right, is what? The second piece of the armor. The longer you walk a righteous life, the easier it will be. Also, the converse is true. The more we walk in unrighteous life, the easier it will be. Remember the first time you told a lie to your mom and dad? Maybe we don't remember, but if you can go back, you, like, you felt awful. Oh, I, I told my mom the dog ate my homework. <laughs> remember the second time you told a lie? And the third time? The fourth time? It just got easier and easier and easier. And now you're a habitual liar. And it's just easy. Why? Because we haven't practiced walking in righteousness. We've walked in the ways of unrighteousness, and it becomes easier and easier. It's the grooves that get wore into our brains, and that becomes our default. But in us, in those moments of temptation, we have this spirit in us who will what? He will help us. He is that mighty one in us who will help us in temptation. We also talked about Satan attacking our bodies or doing those things. The simple solution is avoid gateway activities. You know, we use that word gateway, gateway drugs. Seems like a mild thing that leads into heavier things. But there are just some places and some ways that we can avoid those things, opening ourselves up to Satan. In fact, in Ephesians 4.27, it says, Don't give the devil a foothold. You know, don't let the sun go down while you're in white because you give the devil a foothold. And some of us are giving the devil a foothold. When someone comes to your door and they knock on the door, what's the first thing they want to get in the door? Their foot. Why? Because you can't close the door. You know, there's a story about the camel in the tent. You know how the camel gets into the tent? Nose first. If the camel gets his nose under the tent, the whole camel will eventually be in the tent. It just wiggles itself in and it works its way in. And that's what happens in our lives. If we crack the door just a little bit out of curiosity. How many lives have been ruined? Because I just, I just want to look just a little bit. And before you know it, the doors are wide open and I've fallen in and I say, how did I get here? Well, I got here because I opened it a little crack. That's what Satan does in our lives. We trust the shield of faith in Ephesians chapter 6. What are, what, are, what are those activities that open us up? Well, idol worship, you know, worshiping other things besides God. Gross immorality, um, seeking supernatural powers, mysticism, mystical trances. I mean, there is, there is a reason um, that Christianity is different from all the other religions of the world. Christians are never to empty their minds. We are never to become one with the universe. We are never to become one with the great cosmos. We are to take every thought captive. We are to fill our minds with Christ. And so in those places where uh, other faiths and other religions, other philosophies say, well, just empty your mind. 
become one with the universe, we are opening ourselves up. It's a gateway. Why? Because something's going to fill it. And so we have to be very conscious of the things that we do. I hear the question sometimes, well, can I be a Christian and do X? That's not the question. The question is, is X biblical? You can be a Christian and do anything you want, really, when you think about it. That's not the question. I hear people arguing and disputing and all kinds of things. Well, I'm a Christian and I do this. That's not the question. The question is, is X glorifying God? Is it sanctioned by God? Is it in his word? Is it something he wants us to do? We have it backwards. And so if I'm not asking about X and I start doing X, what am I doing? I may be cracking the door opening up just a little bit. And so when I get into those messes, it's because I, I opened the door. Uh, so we have this power in our lives of not opening the door. Why? The Holy Spirit is divine, and He's infinite, He's uncreated, and He lives in us. Talked about this woman in Revelation 12, giving birth to the male child. But it's the second time the woman shows up. The first time is in Genesis. We see Adam and Eve are created and after the sin, Genesis 3.15, we've looked at this verse over and over. And what does God say? I will put enmity between you. He's talking to the serpent, to the, uh, to the dragon. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The dragon, listen, the dragon is no match for our almighty Redeemer and Savior, Jesus Christ. No match. Already back in Genesis, we see that God had a plan. And in Romans 16, 20, it says this, the God of peace will what? Soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. God will win the battle for us, but we have to show up to fight. We just want to like be lazy boy Christians, right? Oh, Lord, it's all in your hands. I've just trusted you. I want you to do it. No, God will win the battle, but we have to show up for the fight. We've got to put on the armor. We've got to put the, the word and the, and the faith and rely on the Holy Spirit and do all of those things. And so God will win it, but we have to be in it. Sometimes we blame God. God, why didn't you? And God's like, I'd like to ask you the same question. <laughs> I told you not to go there, but you went there. Why'd you go there? Well, God, it's your fault. You didn't stop me. It's not how it works. We show up and we fight with all the resources that we have. Here's one thing that Satan does. Satan over-promises and under-delivers every single time. Satan says this. You know, if you just had this thing, and you fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, if you just do this thing or have this thing, it is going to be awesome. Your life will have meaning. You will find pleasure beyond your wildest dreams. You will be happy. You will be content. You will be peaceful. You will be whatever it is you're looking for. That's what Satan does. He overpromises. And then what happens? We do the thing, and then we're left on a pile of blubbery mess on the floor. And we're like, what happened to the peace? What happened to the contentment? What happened to the pleasure? And he under-delivers. That's just what happened. But God is consistent with his word. God promises and he delivers. He says, if you do this, this will happen. And guess what? It happens. 
God doesn't ever leave us hanging. Satan always leaves us hanging. Why? Because he wants us to be like him. But remember, God wants us to be like him. And so we live our lives. And so would you make the goal of 2020 to be that year that maybe you finally take seriously the battle of this dragon in your life? Whatever that is, however that looks for you, maybe it's alcohol or drugs or pornography or sexual immorality or gossip or anger or seeking the approval of others or perfectionism or anxiety or any host of other things that we can be battling in our lives, not living the life that Jesus came and died for us to live. Would you make that this year? That you, with the resources and the power that God gives us to do that, would you have this 2020 vision? Because what? The dragon is no match for our Savior. He isn't. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the what? The world. Let's say that together. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Do you believe it? Do you love it? It's, it's, it's more than just knowing it. It's believing it. We have all the power of heaven, the cosmic powers of God himself in us through the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome these things. And so this year could be the year that we really take seriously the battle because we are victorious in Jesus. A man had a two-story house. He heard a knocking at the door. He opened the door and he found Jesus there. So he invited him in to live with him in the house. And he gave him the room on the top floor. Because Jesus will only take what you give him. The man was sleeping and heard a pounding on the door. And he opened the door and a crack and the devil barged in. He was, had a terrible fight, trying to resist the devil and his temptations, yelling out for help all the time. Eventually, he managed to throw the devil out. In the morning, he said, why didn't you help me last night, Jesus? Couldn't you hear me calling for help? Jesus said, the problem is, you've got this whole big house to yourself, and I've only got one room. Man says, ah, I see your point. You can have the whole top floor, and I'll keep the bottom floor. The man was sleeping again. Heard what? Pounding at the door. He opened the door a crack and the devil barged in. He had another terrible fight trying to resist the devil and his temptations, yelling out for help all the time. Eventually, he managed to throw the devil out. In the morning, he said, why didn't you help me last night? Couldn't you hear me calling for help? Jesus said, the problem is, I have the top floor, but you still have the bottom floor to yourself. The man says, oh, I see what you mean. From now on, the whole house is yours. That night, the man was asleep. You know the story. There was a pounding at the door. This time, Jesus went to the door, opened it wide, and stood in the doorway. The devil looked at him, bowed very low, and said, I'm sorry, but I think I knocked on the wrong door. And he left. If we're just keeping Jesus in the top floor, we are going to have major problems in life. We need to give him the key to the whole house, the whole house of our lives, every area of our lives, even that stinky, smelly closet that we have in our lives that we don't want to look at, that we surely don't want anybody else to find out about. And the only way it's going to get cleaned out is if we give Jesus the key to that place. You know what he's going to do? He's going to open the door. He's going to take all that stinky, smelly stuff out. He's going to uh, Febreze the whole thing, and you're going to be new. That's what Jesus does. And the next time that Satan comes knocking on the door, you let Jesus get the door because you've given him your entire life. 
You see, the Holy Spirit only inhabits the parts of our lives that we allow him to have. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I can be filled on the upper floor. I can be filled on one room. Or I can be filled in the entire house. And don't you want to be filled in the entire house? To let the Spirit have every place in your life? To let the Spirit have everything in your life? That's what it means to surrender and submit to Him. How do we do that? We know the truth. We submit our wills to Him. We avoid activities that would crack that door open just a little bit for Satan to have his way in. You might be here this morning and you're thinking, oh man, I'm doing great. I don't really need any of this because I don't really have any problems. It's called denial. And generally, when we think we don't have any problems or issues, it's because we're not opening those closets in our lives that we have walled off from ourselves. Because your entire life is like an onion. What do you do with an onion? You peel it layer by layer by layer by layer. And so when you become a Christian, God takes the, that papery skin off. And then the more you submit, he takes the layers off, 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 the layers off. And what happens when you start to peel the layers of an onion? You start to cry because it's painful and it hurts and it makes your eyes burn and you start. But that's what happens when we submit ourselves to Jesus, to the things we don't want him to have. It's, it's, it hurts at first, but then what happens? We find healing and we find wholeness and we find restoration. And Jesus is only going to deal with the stuff we give him. Who is the one that, barred, that wanted to barge into the house? Satan. He wants to barge into your life. Jesus. What do we read in Revelation? I stand at the door and doesn't say I stand at the door with a battering ram and I'm going to come in any way I can. Nope. Jesus, what? Waits for the invitation. You see, Jesus is polite. Satan isn't. He's going to barge into your life and try to take over as much as he can. Is there a dragon in your life that you're feeding? It could be the dragon of envy, bitterness. It could be resentment. It could be greed. It could be all, all the things in our hearts. It could be those out, outer things that we see. And the bigger question is this. Do you want the dragon to be defeated? Most of the time, we don't even have the battle because we don't really want it defeated. It's become comfortable. It's become a part of our lives. It's become the pet in our lives. And we think, if I didn't have my dragon, what would I have? But here's what we know, is that dragon is going to keep getting bigger and bigger, and one day it's going to consume us if we don't get rid of it. It might be nice now. It might be that comfortable pet now. But it is going to devour us. How do we know that? Because that's what the dragon does. The dragon devours. That's what he's there for. It's this insatiable appetite to eat. And what does Revelation remind us? That the dragon was enraged at the woman. He couldn't do that. So what? It, he went against the rest of her offspring. Peter says that dragon is a roaring lion looking for someone to what? Devour. That's what the dragon does. And he wants to devour us. But listen, don't be without hope. Don't be without strength and don't be without courage because we have all the power we need in Jesus. We just do. We have the truth. We have the Holy Spirit. We have everything in this cosmic reason that Jesus came was what? To destroy the works of the devil. As we have a time to pray and a time just to commit to him, a time to just think, I want you to think, Lord, what is that thing in my life? You want me to, what is that thing? There's, there's this dragon, there's this thing in my life 
that I, that I desperately want to kill. You say, you know, I've tried before. I tried last year. Uh, New Year's Eve 2018, I was like, yeah, ready, yeah, let's go. <laughs> January 2nd, I'm like, I'm done. It's a consistent, everyday thing. So don't ever give up the fight. This Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And what, you know what a marathon is? A marathon is mile after mile after mile after mile after mile. And moments like this is that person along the route who hands you the Gatorade. Oh, I'm refreshed again. I can keep on running. Moments like this is that place along the route where you see some family members and they're cheering you on. You can do it. There's only 25 miles to go. You can do it. That's why we're here. That's why we need believing family together to encourage us to keep on going. But it's this marathon. Don't give up the fight. Don't. We celebrate Christmas because that's when God stepped into time and space to give us all the resources we need and all the things that we need in order to do battle that he's already won for us. We don't operate for victory. We operate from victory. The victory was won at the cross. That's why it's good news. News is something that's been done. Advice is something you need to do. And the Bible is good news. It's not advice. It is the good news that at the cross, Jesus decisively defeated the devil, and now we have that strength. It's not advice on how to defeat him yourself. Would you like Christmas really be good news in 2020 to be good news and to have the battle with the dragon? Please stand, and we're going to pray. And if you need prayer, the guys will meet you in the back to your right. Father, we've all know what it's like to be in the battle. We all know what it's like to win, and we all know what it's like to be defeated. But God, individual battles do not decide the outcome of the war. The war has been won by Jesus. And so, Father, I guess this year, we're just looking for that place where we can just slay that dragon that's been consuming us. Maybe for years for the first time, to really be free from the thing that's keeping us in bondage. That your truth would replace the lies that we have believed in our lives about ourselves and maybe about others and maybe about the world. And God, your spirit, who lives in believers as we receive that gift of salvation, we would trust that spirit and surrender our our wills to the spirit and, and not try to do it all ourselves. God, we look forward to the ways that we will overcome this year. So help us now over these next few moments as we commit to you, as we make some New Year's goals, set our hearts and our minds on the things of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.